This is the Stuff You Missed, Best of 99.9 The Fan Podcast, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now, here is your host for the Stuff You Missed Podcast, Dennis Cox. Coming up on today's show, lots of discussions and reactions to the latest installments of the Last Dance documentary. Some NFL quarterbacks have uncertain fates. And Tampa Bay Rays pitcher and former Durham Bull Blake Snell stops by Golick and Wingo. Several NFL teams over the weekend decided whether or not to exercise the fifth-year option on their first-round draft picks from the 2017 class. One player whose option was not picked up was Chicago Bears quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Darren Gannon, Pro Football Talk, stopped by the Adam Gold Show to talk about Trubisky. Chicago Bears once traded four things to move up one spot to draft a Mitch Trubisky and then traded another thing to pay Nick Foles a bunch of money to be their backup for a minute until he takes the job over. So they make bad decisions there. Uh, Jacksonville's casting their lot with Gardner Minshew for some reason. Why would you not want Cam Newton if if that's who you were? Gant talks further about Cam. I don't say this as any kind of indictment on Cam Newton. Any quarterback with an MVP on his mantle, if Matt Ryan was suddenly cast into the market. I don't think he would be eager to go compete for the chance to back, you know, maybe compete with Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville. Why would he do that? He's better than that. So Cam may just sit tight. And I think a lot of people around the league believe that's the course of action is that he's just going to hang around. And if somebody, whenever they go to training camps, quarterback gets hurt, he's going to be there playing the role of Sam Bradford and saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, I can come in short term and help you. Dan Wiederer of the Chicago Tribune also stopped by the Adam Gold Show to talk about the QB competition looming between Trubisky and Nick Foles. While the Bears have declared an open competition for their starting quarterback role, that that Nick Foles will have every opportunity to steal it from Mitch Trubisky's grasp. And so it's going to be up to Trubisky to prove that he has made leaps and bounds development and progress in what the coaching staff wants him to make leaps and bounds development and progress in. And yet, here we are in the middle of an offseason that will not allow coaches and players to be on the field together, perhaps ever. And Wiederer says this makes an interesting situation for both the Bears and Trubisky. Right. This is a very weird conundrum for the Bears. It's a weird conundrum for Mitch as he goes now into the final year of his rookie contract. Uh, but not a real shocker that the Bears didn't pick up that option. It would have been, uh, on, they would have been on the hook for $24.8 million in 2021 if they had picked up that option. Now, it's only guaranteed fully for injury. But still, that's a, uh, a hefty price uh, to invest on a guy that you're not even ready to commit to for week one of 2020, much less any part of 2021. Wheeler answers the question of where it went wrong. Real answer to where it went wrong was in the evaluation of the pre-draft process in which the Bears clearly made a decision that Mitch Trubisky was head and shoulders the best quarterback in that class above Patrick Mahomes, who was number two mm. as far as quarterbacks on their board, and Deshaun Watson. And and you look at that misevaluation, and that's where it went wrong. You only get so many opportunities to have the first pick at the quarterback buffet, right? And, yeah. and to be able to go up there and have the first choice and take the guy that you can set your franchise up for the long haul, they picked the wrong guy. And now you're spending all this time trying to troubleshoot and correct and get out of it. He comments on how difficult it is to play quarterback in the NFL. I tell people all the time, playing quarterback at a high level in the NFL is the the, the degree of difficulty is off the charts. And so it's just a, a, a game that moves really fast with a lot of information coming at, at, at a lot of different angles and different times and different movements. And if you're not fully on top of your game, it's a really challenging 
thing to succeed at a high level on a consistent basis. He also says not every guy can do it. And Trubisky works hard. He, he, he can, he's shown the athleticism. He's shown the flashes that, look, he went to the Pro Bowl as an alternate after his second season when the Bears made the playoffs. But to do all those things on a consistent basis, you just have to be the elite of the elite. And sometimes it's just too hard for some guys. It's not because the game's too big for them. It's not because they're not smart enough. It's not because they're not athletic enough. It's just to do this at a high level on a consistent basis is really hard. And sometimes your limitations just stop you from getting over that that major hump that maybe four or five quarterbacks every decade get over. Dennis Cox here with you. This is Stuff You Missed, the best of 99.9 The Fan. Andy Dalton was not a free agent for long as he signs a one-year contract with the Dallas Cowboys with a base pay of $3 million and can earn an additional $4 million in incentives. Trey Wingo on Golik and Wingo this morning says the Cowboys bought themselves a good safety net in case things don't work out with Dak. The Cowboys historically, uh, whether it was Romo or, or uh, it had to be Romo because Dak hasn't missed a game on purpose, when they've had, you know, whether it was Matt Castle or some. They had very little success with their backup quarterback. And a guy like Andy Dalton, who's been to three Pro Bowls and hasn't won a playoff game but has been in a, a lot of postseason games, what they're just doing is is giving themselves a $3 million insurance policy. But you're right, Junior. Until the Dak Prescott deal is signed, everything's going to be looked at with that sideways eyebrow. Like, really, this is what happened here. Michael Luke Jr. says that Dalton could step in if needed. But it's like all of these things at a time where – this is delicate with Dak Prescott, right? Like, we know it's not a huge shot across the bow because of the way things are set up, but he's not attending their virtual offseason program. We've finally seen the little bits of indication that it's ruffled his feathers, and so now you go out there, and, and part of this is the offseason that we're in, but it's also, all right, a guy that was a starter in this league that when he's had good weapons has played pretty well. We all look at this Dallas team and say, yeah, all right, you know what? If you had Andy Dan- Dalton had to go out there and you look at the Dallas yeah. weapons right now, it's probably not going to do too bad. Golik Jr. also points out the difference in contract negotiations between Dak Prescott and the Cowboys and Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. There's any sticking point this long to the negotiations. Like Patrick Mahomes just came out over the weekend and right. actually spoke about the co- upcoming contract negotiation <laughs> with him in Kansas City, who exercised his fifth-year option, and basically saying, I'm trusting them to do the right thing here. Yeah. And we all know that they will because it's a no-brainer. Yes, because he's Hall of Famer, Patrick Mahomes. So with Dak Prescott, it has taken this long because clearly, to some extent, it's a brainer. ESPN's Marcus Spears on Golik and Wingo weighs in on the Dalton signing. I have a hard time believing that you just signed Andy Dalton, who was a nine-year starter in this league, has been to playoff games, and you are just settled on the fact that he's going to be a backup quarterback when you currently have no contract with your perceived franchise guy. Spears says there's more to this signing than just a backup role for Dalton. I don't know if you guys can go through history of the NFL, but I don't remember a young, capable guy that has been a starter in the league for nine years to come in as a backup during a contract dispute with a proposed franchise guy and it not mean that it's either a leverage play or we're preparing not to have the guy that we thought we would have who's perceivably our franchise guy. Sticking with the NFL, one quarterback situation that has been unsolved so far is the New England Patriots having a major hole to fill after the departure of Tom Brady. Mike Golick Jr. this morning says the team hasn't done much of anything to help second-year quarterback Jared Stidham. 
Yeah, I mean, you have basically done nothing to improve an offense that with Tom Brady at the helm, a guy who knew that offense better than anyone in the world, couldn't make into something truly great last season. And now you're going to take Jared Stidham there, and, and it, I can't imagine anyone realistically expects it to be as good or better. Trey Wingo says the Patriots do have a plan. As soon as Tom Brady's, they went into the into the first game last year without a contract extension, this was the plan all along. And you, you hear people say, how do they not have a plan? They have a plan. The question is whether or not it's going to be the right plan. And at least they've been consistent about this. They're not, they, they didn't draft the quarterback. I mean, to me, Jared Sidham was the biggest winner of the draft because they, they didn't even think about picking up a quarterback. Mike Ola Jr. doesn't share the same sentiment. Like, we can say that Jared Stidham has been the plan since week one, but I do not believe that. I believe of a better option or one that they valued more than the optionality of being able to go into next year's draft within shouting distance of a young guy for Belichick to groom, that that would have been something that changed. This is Stuff You Missed, the best of 99.9 The Fan. I'm Dennis Cox. Thanks once again for tuning in this evening. On the other side, discussions and reactions to episodes 5 and 6 of The Last Dance. And former Durham Bulls pitcher and current Tampa Bay Ray Blake Snell joined Golick and Wingo. Hear all that and more coming up next. The winningest NFL coach of all time, Don Shula, passed away earlier today at the age of 90. The Dan Levitard Show with Stu Gotts, which can be heard from 10 to noon while Sports Channel 8 is out on vacation this summer, was on the air when the news broke. Dan Levitard speaks on the passing of Shula. He had been weakened and wheelchair-bound for the last five years or so, uh, but was still a pillar of uh, grace and integrity. Uh, what a brutal time, not that there's ever a good time to die, Stu Gatz, but what a brutal time specifically to die where you don't get those last moments uh, in person with your family. or It's made very difficult by the circumstances. Levitard, who's from the Miami area, spoke on what Shula meant to South Florida. For those of you tuning in now, who don't know what Don Shula meant to South Florida. Uh, he was the first credible giant sports thing that we had that was national. You can make the argument that the Dolphins have never been as relevant as they were under Don Shula, that the Dolphins have spent the last 25 years desecrating what he built in South Florida with uh, a perfect season, with uh, two Super Bowl championships with Belichick still needs wins to catch him on the Ooh. career uh, wins list. He's got an expressway named after him in South Florida. Levitard also talked about the type of coach that Shula was. But he's from a bygone time where a coach could be this authoritarian figure and also become role model and picture of strength. He was a spiritual man. He was a hard man. He was a leader of the highest order. And Stugatz, when we're talking about, um, you know, top five personalities in sports in the history of South Florida, you're talking yep. about Don Shula. You're talking about Pat Riley. You're talking about Dwayne Wade. You're talking about Dan Marino. And that's basically the list. Like, you, you have a hard time getting to five in terms of somebody who says Miami and sports more than those four guys. Episodes five and six of the Last Dance documentary aired last night on ESPN. Some of the highlights of the episodes, including Jordan signing with Nike, as well as his frequency to gamble. On the Adam Gold Show, heard from noon to three, Gold talks about what stood out to him from the show. 
the Jordan element of um, you know almost never almost not going with Nike. He had no interest in Nike, and David Falk's vision, his agent, to make him more of a a singular player as opposed to a, a player who played for a team. All of that stuff was very, very interesting. Um, and also, it, I just think it it paints a different picture or allows uh, more context for what we're going to see going forward and what we've already seen. Mike Golick on Golick and Wingo this morning talked about how competitive Jordan was even when it came to gambling and betting. On the planes, he and some of the, the, the richer guys were playing, were, were playing cards. I think it was Will Perdue who was explaining this. Yeah. We're, we're playing cards for thousands and thousands of dollars in the back of the plane. And in the front of the plane, Will Perdue said me and Steve Kerr and others were playing blackjack for a dollar a hand. A dollar a hand. He said Jordan would come up and say, what are you guys doing? So we're playing blackjack. And they're like, can I play? They're like, why do you want to play? We're playing a dollar a hand. And he said, Jordan said to him, because I want to know that your money is now in my pocket. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the competitive edge of him. At some point, it didn't matter what the amount was. Michael Oleg Jr. wonders why people cared so much that MJ gambled. Could Michael Jordan have had a gambling problem? Sure. None of us really know. None of us were in the casino with him. But he never lost all of his money on any of that. He's worth $2.1 billion. But, like, I guess that's the thing. is like you could still have a gambling problem if you are rich. The thing is that we only really start addressing it as an issue if you're losing tons of money or if it affects him on the court at all. Like, the bottom line is, again, like we see time and time again, no matter what you do off the court, if you are winning enough on it and if you are great enough on it, we don't really care. ESPN's Jackie McMullen on Golic and Wingo talked about what the gambling story meant at that time. It was a very hot topic. It was a legitimate topic at the time, I feel. Uh, you know, there were there was a lot of smoke. And Jordan's, I thought Jordan's um, answers in this documentary were, were very interesting. And, you know, what he's saying is true. He didn't break any laws. He he. He had a competitive problem. I loved that because that is exactly right. true. And uh, But I think what happened was he was the darling for so long. And then finally there was a little bit of a smudge on those very squeaky clean air Jordans. She spoke more about the media coverage. The media assault was relentless. I was around for it. And that and then the combination of when his father, of course, was very tragically murdered. He told me many years later, within within minutes people were connecting that to his gambling and he never forgave the people you talk about you know flights real or imagined he never forget any forget forget or forgave the many people that wrote about that or even insinuated that his father had just passed away i really think it drove him from the game this is stuff you missed the best of 99.9 the fan i'm dennis cox on the OG, Joe Ovius and Joe Giglio got to talking about the last dance, and Joe Ovius wonders if Michael Jordan will pretty much bet on anything. Do you think, Giglio, that Michael Jordan has put money down on Fortnite matches that his Charlotte Hornet players might have participated in on an off bet? At this point, after the last dance episode that we just saw about him betting on throwing a coin on a rug... <laughs> There's nothing that's not in play. One scene from the documentary yesterday was Michael Jordan and one of his security detail playing a game called Pitching Pennies, where you're tossing coins onto the floor as close to the wall as you can. Joe Giglio somewhat relates to the game they were playing. What's funny is it reminded me of this time I was at my uncle's funeral, or wake, and you're sitting there in this room and I'm with a couple of my cousins and we're now pushing a, a paper football to see who could get it closest to the edge. 
Oh yeah, it wasn't a game. But it wasn't a paper football. It was like a. It was the pop top off of like a soda can. Right. And right. Right. We just we're just, we were just killing time. Yeah. But imagine now being Michael Jordan gambling on such trivial matters. Like, I have so much more respect for him today than I did a week ago. It's incomprehensible. Joe Ovia shares what stood out to him from that scene. What I love in that sequence, this was one, this was from episode six of the documentary, which I thought was the more, probably the best episode that we've seen so far for a variety of reasons. Because uh, I thought it did a really good job of showing you Michael Jordan's competitive nature and his gambling addiction. I'm just going to call it that. He's addicted to the juice that is provided from gambling. All right. And... There was no better sequence than that pitching pennies sequence where he got so competitive with his security detail, including the dude with the amazing hair and the double belt, who took his money and then hit him with the shrug. Ovius talked more about how the documentary portrayed Jordan's gambling. All you needed to see was Jordan on a golf course with his buddies during an off day to see how into it he was. He was sitting here racking up. No, you owed me 20 per hole. Now you're down 100. Like, all it's like all this stuff is in his head. Showing up with Ahmad Rashad, not giving you much details, but just showing up with Ahmad Rashad uh, before one of the playoff games to address the media, finally, about some of the gambling stuff because he had gone to Atlantic City during the Eastern Conference Finals. Switching quickly over to baseball, Tampa Bay Rays pitcher and former Durham Bull Blake Snell was on with Golik and Wingo. And he says the players have been in constant contact with the players' union. I would say a lot. We have a our team has a group chat, and we talk pretty frequently about it. So um, I would say a lot, and everyone's concerns have been have been heard, and and they're talking about it. And I think that's why it's been such a long discussion between the union and MLB. And I mean, everyone's been voicing their opinion, and everyone's been really, really strong about what they want. So I know MLB is going to do their best to make sure everything is is met and uh, we're as safe as we can possibly be. And if that's the case, then hopefully baseball comes back sooner. And uh, But, yeah, I know all the players have been really, uh, really vocal about what they want. Uh, I think it's just helping MLB have a better understanding for what, they, what they're going to need to do to be able to get this to start. Snell wants COVID-19 testing before returning. The only thing that I cared about was, like, uh, like what testing we'd be able to do for the virus to make sure, like, everyone is just, safe and healthy as possible and that's something that they've really been looking into so as long as we have stuff that uh is put in place to make sure that we're we're in no risk or no danger of uh catching the coronavirus then i'm i'm on board wherever we play however when it doesn't matter to me he says how long he'll need to be ready to play again i would say probably six weeks uh just and i think and i think it'd be sped up to where uh, pitchers just need to get built up to like three innings uh, and we'll just have a lot more pitchers and players uh, to play the games. Um, but yeah, I would say six weeks. I mean, I'm doing everything I can to just stay in shape and be as ready as I can be, but I still think it takes six weeks to get ready. You've been listening to the Stuff You Missed Best of 99.9 The Fan Podcast with host Dennis Cox. Don't forget, there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and TuneIn. This podcast also airs every weeknight at 630 after Adam and Joe on 99.9 The Fan. 